Hello and welcome to episode 193 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we perform an autopsy on the latest from the Baron of Blood, David Cronenberg, Crimes of the Future. But first, how are you, Scott? And more importantly, how does it feel to have now risen, roared, and revolted? I've never, I've never felt more alive, Scott. Uh, I don't even quite know how to perfectly capture genre in uh, Rise, Roar, Revolt. Uh, I, I was talking to someone about it at work after I, after, la- after I saw it last week at Alamo. And I was like, it's like an epic fantasy action musical buddy comedy historical yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's, it's not i mean i wouldn't call it a story i mean it is historical i guess but it's like not, there are it's yeah from, real people in it but yeah it's... real people doing very much not real things <laughs> but um you know who, who knows maybe I'm it's not a sure. straight biopic <laughs> yeah 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 uh, the untold true story of these two people's lives but i mean look I was I can't remember if I told this to you or if I was telling someone else, but like the the especially the first half of this movie pre intermission, absolutely five five star feels, uh, in the words of Aaron J, absolute five star feels. I think the second half of the film is a little is not quite to the same to the same caliber, but wow, what a picture! I will say I don't think we've even brought this up on the podcast before, so if anyone's confused, we're talking about. RRR, which is yeah. um, this Indian movie film. that has kind of, yeah, kind of taken American cinema by storm in a way, I'm, I'm, you know, more so than any Indian. That's a, that's you know, a generous Bollywood description, Hollywood probably, film. but it's, it's yeah, being yeah. talked about. More, yeah. more so, yeah, more so, like I said, more so than any like Bollywood or Tollywood movie that has come out in a long time. And yeah, I saw it a couple of months ago. It's incredibly fun. It's a three hour epic about these two actual revolutionaries who never actually connected in real life but like it imagines if they did connect in real life and had a bromance and also were fighting a back uh, against the british government and i mentioned this before but like it's one of those movies where like the british government devotes an insane amount of resources and if you actually stop and think about why are they spending what they are spending all these resources on it doesn't make any sense uh because basically they're trying to stop these two guys from rescuing one girl uh one little girl but and they like they're you know ready to go to full-blown war over this but all i will say is the movie opens up with a warning that um, there were no real animals used or harmed oh in this God. movie, and that Owls. includes, and then lists off like fourteen different animals: goats, sheep, tiger. At, like literally before the movie had even started, I was like, "Okay, this is gonna rock," and <laughs> yeah. it does. And the when the animals are actually used, yes, they get incredible use out of them. So yeah, go see do. this movie. It's on Netflix actually right now, so you can watch it on Netflix. Um, watch it in theaters if you can. Probably can't, but watch it on netflix um i guarantee you it like you will there's stuff that looks better and looks cooler in this movie that costs like 50 million american dollars 70 million in, but yeah 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 more or less yeah than in you know the american movies that cost like three times as much so um it rules yeah i mean three three hour masterpiece in the making L- let's just say uh Who's the SS Rajamuli? He was Rajamuli, yeah. Yeah, he was cooking in this thing. He was, yeah. But yeah, so I I have risen, I have roared, I am revolting, and I revolted right into Crimes of the Future the next day after watching this movie. 
Um, I'd had, I told you before I got in and I, I'm not getting into anything about the movie, but I told you before I went into, to, to see crimes of the future that I'd had Indian food earlier that day in honor of watching, uh, RR. And I was, I was a little nervous about, about the, having that meal earlier in the day before, before crimes of the future. Yeah. I was going to say some people might have said that crimes of the future was revolting. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think we're probably both in agreement that for us at least not quite as much as it was made out to be certainly definitely um, not i mean i don't know if i just like had maybe we like hyped ourselves in into into too much thought around the also the the trailer man the trailer really sells this thing there's like a yeah it's like a I, it's that's yeah. the thing it's all about the marketing strategy because like how do you market this movie with the premise of what it is like you don't unless you get you know you come out and say this is the most shocking movie ever but there's going to be walkouts in the first five minutes like it was i'm convinced it was all just like a publicity stunt basically yeah. to try and get people to see this movie um, I, I did have a walkout in my theater but uh really okay. yeah i don't know why i mean it was literally opening night for a cronenberg movie what like my guy what did you expect I don't know, big history of violence fan, I guess. But even in that movie, there's some stuff that's uncomfortable. But anyway, uh, we're already talking about it. We might as well get into it. Our movie today is Crimes of the Future, the first film in eight years from legendary horror art auteur David Cronenberg. Crimes of the Future is set in a not-so-distant future where humankind has evolved beyond the ability to feel pain and where certain individuals have developed the unique trait of being able to grow their own new organs. One of these individuals is Saul Tenser, played by Viggo Mortensen, a beloved performance artist who, along with his partner Caprice, played by Alea Seydoux, has achieved widespread success with his one-of-a-kind shows in which his brand new organs are removed in front of a live audience. Saul's world, however, is changing, and he soon finds himself caught between a variety of competing interests, including an organ registration organization seeking to categorize and study these new organs, an investigator on the trail of a strange subculture of individuals who eat plastic to sustain themselves, and a grieving father, played by Scott Speedman, who asks Saul to create his most shocking performance yet, a live autopsy of his deceased son. But confronting this challenge will also mean Saul must confront the very nature of his art and whether his seemingly unnatural bodily evolution is something to be embraced or feared. Scott Cronenberg made his name in the body horror world with films like The Fly and Videodrome almost 40 years ago. But does his latest show, but does his latest show that nearly that the nearly 80-year-old mastermind still has something to offer? Or is the great director finally out of ways to both shock us and make us think? Yeah, I, I think I mean maybe maybe this was this was heavily alluded to in our pre-little primer chat there, but the trailer makes a lot out of the the grossness and the body horror side of Cronenberg's particular flair. Not so when you watch the actual movie. I, I think they got like 90% of the gross stuff in this film into the trailer somehow. Uh, there's like maybe two scenes that's like kind of gross that that aren't covered in the trailer. And and so in that sense, Scott, you, you're talking about like, whether he still has something to offer. I, I think it's kind of because of that. He still hasn't like th those elements are present in his film, but that's, he's not making a film just to like, you know, play the greatest hits or whatever. Like, Oh, I can still do body horror with, you know, cheaper and better CG than, you know, we had back in the day. Like, that's not what this movie is about. And I think that because that's not what the movie is about, I actually found it a lot more interesting. And frankly, I really liked this movie. I wasn't necessarily expecting to like it all that much. I was, 
dreading is far too strong of a word to describe me going to see this movie, but I was I was a little nervous that I wouldn't totally vibe with it. But like, guys, this is just a crime movie. Like whoever tells you this is like a body horror film, like there is that there. Like if you've seen the trailer that those things are in the movie. But this is ultimately just sort of like a crime drama in my mind. And I I totally vibed with that. I thought that what he had going on under the surface of this film you know, super philosophical film, honestly, really asking a lot of tough questions that I'm not even sure, you know, for better or for worse, that even Cronenberg really has the answer for. Um, yeah, I think he has an opinion, but I don't even think he necessarily offers that opinion as not, as the answer per se. It does seem like a lot of posing questions and less answering them, which I think with the right tone, which I, I do think this movie is able to capture, is really effective. I think that Viggo Mortensen is very well done uh it's very well acted he he acts as part of salt tensor very well uh this person who it is aloof in, in a very futuristic way i think is the right to put it like he makes you uneasy because he is he has this sort of like evolutionary syndrome and his ability to grow these organs and you know he, it seems like he's a man who's just sort of like coming to the end of the line right like he's sickly he has a lot of he experiences a lot of pain, even though most of society doesn't experience pain anymore. And he, he has this sort of like otherliness in the film that I think adds this air of mystery and, and intrigue, frankly, to the character. And I think he's able to capture that really well in this sort of like almost like hunchback-esque performance where he's just sort of like always leaning over and he has this black hood up. Like he's a all Sith time Lord. searching, yeah, yeah, like all time total, yeah, total, total Sith Lord over here uh, in the future, and um, and I and I think that when you pair that with Caprice, which is Leia Sadu's character, again, I think that they played off each other really well. This is like probably my favorite thing that Leia Sadu has done in in the in the last year, and she's done a lot of stuff in the last year. Yeah, um, she's been in like five movies, I think, in the past twelve months or something like that, and I really enjoyed this performance same goes for the supporting cast. Like a, a lot of the movie, I feel like, yes, there is a production design element to it and, and creating these machines that they're using in the film to, you know, make their art, perform their surgeries, perform these autopsies. I think there's a huge element of the, of the film of the vibe of the film that has to be credited towards that. But I also just feel like, you know, whether Cronenberg is casting for these roles or directing them into it. Once he has these, this sort of cast of actors, like, he just gets the right tone and the right vibe and the right nuance, I think, from all the characters in the supporting cast. And it's something that I really appreciated. I I, I do want to I mean, I do kind of want to see this movie again because I, I felt like I was left with a lot of thoughts and, and not a lot of answers to how I felt necessarily about the movie. And I wonder if once seeing it again, I would maybe solidi more solidify one direction or the other, like it more, maybe be a little bit less hot on it. Who, who really knows? But yeah, I was really impressed with the cast. I was impressed with Cronenberg, although, you know, of the of the couple movies that I've seen by him, I wasn't surprised by, you know, being impressed with him. I haven't seen many of his body or any of his body horror uh, pictures, but I'm familiar with his two more mainstream films with Eastern Promises and and History of Violence, which I think are really, really well done. And I think although maybe not on the first watch up to the up to this that standard for me. Um, in the upper echelon of films. And, you know, it fits right into my top 10 so far this year, for sure. Yeah, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about a movie that was in my most anticipated list that had some body horror elements uh, 
to it, which was Men. And yeah. I was very disappointed with that movie. Um, and here we that are. That movie is way with... more gross than this one, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly. Jesus. Yeah. Here we are again, though, with another movie in my top five most anticipated, another body horror film. I wasn't disappointed with this one, Scott. This one definitely delivered on what I was hoping for from David Cronenberg. And I'm not even really talking about the sensory experience, like you're saying, um, which is obviously it's obviously very good in that department. But much like uh, his son's film a couple of years ago, Possessor, I think this movie like is about a lot of stuff and a lot of very relevant stuff. And that may be the thing that you're not expecting you know, maybe if you're familiar with Cronenberg, you are. But again, if you're just reading the, the press on this movie, like, oh, it's the most shocking movie ever or whatever, you might go in thinking, oh, well, this is just going to be some kind of freak show, right? It's just going to be a, you know, crazy, freaky horror movie. Well, it's not really that. It's a movie that, like I said, has a lot on its mind. And in some ways, it's actually like about body horror itself, kind of, because it is interrogating whether there is any sort of artistic value to using your body in these strange ways right and well it's certainly about I, bodily autonomy that's for sure yeah i i i couldn't help but think that there's almost a little bit of meta commentary there of um cronenberg kind of you know questioning the artistic value of you know some of the stuff that he's made his name off of and, and maybe critics who would say that you know this is just kind of repulsive and um it's all shock value and that there's there's nothing artistic about it um so that part is interesting there's like some definite allegories for like climate change and what we have done to the environment um that are in this movie and uh, particularly i think kind of talking about what's going on with the sun and the way it gets passed down to future generations now like naturally passed down right like there's a discussion about how it's kind of unnatural i guess that these people are growing the new organs that it's like um manufactured almost but like once a child once this child has been born and seems to have the same abilities as his father um then we've now naturally passed it to the next generation this is not something that like you developed it can be something that is genetically spread and it you know obviously it makes you think about like i was saying environmental issues climate change and a lot of the discourse about how you know maybe it's not going to affect us during our lifetimes or whatever but what about the future like what are you know we have to think about at some what point it's an effect our actions are going to have on future generations and yeah. that is an undercurrent in this movie i think for sure i think it's more than an uh, undercurrent i mean it talks about how the the world has been ravaged by climate yeah. change and pollution i mean that's sort of like the the setup for how you get to this sort of you know not too distant future world even yeah. And along the same lines, like, you know, you can you can certainly read it in, in a climate change environmental way. I mean, I, I also kind of thought about the pandemic in a way. Right. And um, like like I said, talking about creating art under these really strange circumstances when, um, you know, art may seem like a trivial thing in the face of what the world is actually facing and what we humans maybe are are contributing to it right like we are, we have a role in it and what role does these strange performances which you know don't you know may may look weird and trivial and shocking to outside um observers but obviously have real value to the people performing 
um, these, you know, to, you know, people like Saul Tensor and Caprice. Um, does that matter in the face of like these really serious stuff that is going on in the world? Um, so all these ideas, I think it explores in a really interesting way. I think they're relevant, right? Like Cronenberg's an 80 year old man, but like he, you know, hasn't lost his touch for using the genre of body horror to like actually explore ideas, which is I think what a lot of great horror movies do. I don't think every great horror movie has to do this. I'm not one of these people who's like elevated horror or nothing, but, um, you know, I, a lot of my favorite horror movies are movies that, like I said, use the genre to have commentary on other issues. And I think this movie definitely falls in there. Um, I love the world that he creates, too, for sure. Like, I, I mentioned all the, like, competing threads that are going on. And there's so so many of them, and they're all really interesting. Like, I would totally understand somebody saying, like, oh, I wanted more about... Kristen Stewart and the other guy who are running this organ registry network, or I wanted more about, as I saw them referred to on Twitter, the lesbian drill assassins who just like strip down and, and get in the Sark machine yeah. and just yeah for fun. Cause they love this like autopsy machine, basically that, uh, <laughs> that Saul Tensor and Caprice have, um, you know, that's just like a scene in the movie. Um, so, yeah. you know, for some people, there may not be enough of that. And again, I totally get that. I don't know. I just liked all the little like peering into the weird corners of these world. I don't know that I necessarily want like a full movie or I wanted the movie to be any longer than it was to explore these things. But I thought they just added a lot of texture to like the environment that he's trying to create. Yeah, that, that scene that scene felt a little bit discordant with uh, the rest of the film, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, it was funny. This film is really fun. Like we haven't talked about like this film is, is funny. Like this is, is a funny yeah. movie. Uh, I was laughing a lot. Uh, people in my theater were not laughing as much as I was, but I was having a great time um, laughing at laughing at the jokes in this film. Like when in the scene that you're talking about where Leia Saidu is like showing them around the Sark, like introducing the these two women who are like posing as like mechanics, basically They're, like, yeah, like technicians or whatever, who have come to like retool this machine they're using and their performances just like strip naked and are like, how do we look or whatever? <laughs> just like, this is so stupid. Um, it's pretty strange. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, trying to be like, like Leia Sidhu acts as like, this is like a perfectly normal thing that they've done. Yeah. She just like laughs. At <laughs> I know. I was just like, all right, man, <laughs> sure. It's the future. Not man. how we I'd be reacting, know. but okay. Um, Sir, and she then, understands and then... that surgery is the new sex and these girls just wanted in on that. I guess so. Um, and then, yeah, like I mentioned, the Oregon Registry group and Christian Stewart is doing like this weird whispery like thing. Oh, my God. The way that she talks, which is great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, Appar is, apparently Cronenberg didn't even tell her to do that. That's like the craziest part. That she just she yeah. just decided to do that. If there is one of these like side quests that I like would have liked to see more about, like I her character specifically, I, I think we could have used more of just because you haven't also because you have an actress of her caliber in the movie. Like I wanted to see her used a little bit more, but I think she's great in the scenes that she's in and like the weird sort of sexual chemistry that she has with Vigo Mortensen, like I thought was fun. I mean, um, let, let's be honest, Scott. She's trying to fuck Vigo Mortensen. I mean, she is. She propositions yeah. him uh, in the one scene or whatever. She, and he's yeah, like, uh, yeah. I'm not I good mean, at the old sex. That's an <laughs> oh yeah, that was hilarious actually. <laughs> I forgot about that line, but uh yeah, no, that is uh 
That is a great scene. Yeah, it's it's a wild movie, uh, but not for the ways maybe that you think it's going to be. Uh, <laughs> and I really liked the ending. I thought that the the final image of the movie and everything is like really, really sticks with you, really haunting. So is he about to die? I don't think he is. Well, no, I, I actually don't think he is. But yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, it's a fascinating movie. I highly recommend it. It's not going to be everyone's thing, but like Cronenberg, he's back. And I'm glad that like. I I think he probably won't make any more movies after this because it, it seemed like it took a lot to Isn't get he, him to come back. Sorry, just to make I think he, he literally has another movie already announced. Oh, does he? Okay, yeah, never yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll my... slow you down there before you say that. Okay. Well, that's my bad. But anyway, I um, what I was gonna say is I thought I think this would be a nice swan song to go out on again because, like I said, I th- I feel like it actually explores and interrogates his work and what role it has in the modern era. Um, so it'd be a cool swan song. But if he's making another movie, that's great too, because this shows that he still has something left to offer and then some. Um, yeah, because his, his next movie is going to have Vincent Cassell in it. Okay, Scott, anything else you want to say about the cast? And we could talk about them sort of as a whole. You've given some of your thoughts on sure. the, you know, the lead performances. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Christian Stewart there. Scott Speedman um, is one of the other major supporting roles as the father um, and then mm-hmm. a bunch of kind of random actors, not really any other known names that I, unless I'm failing to recall somebody. But, um, you know, there's a fair amount of supporting characters in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I've talked about Vigo and Leia and, and Kristen a little bit there in terms of their performances. I do think Scott Speedman is someone definitely worth talking about. I think that he he's sort of like really. I feel like the like emotional weight of the film really sits on this character, like the like the emotional philosophical element to it, because even though I think you can enjoy the movie sort of removing that, because like if you're if you're really vibing with Saul Tenser and Caprice and Timlin, which is Kirsten Stewart's character, I think you can you can definitely enjoy the movie. But I think to like really feel the movie, if that makes sense, I think you kind of need to be on the wavelength that Scott Speedman's character, whose name is Lang Patrice. Also criminal that they have a character named Detrice and a character named Caprice in the same movie. Like they gotta, <laughs> yeah. I just can't. I mean, like, come on, guys, don't do, don't do shit like that. Um, I think, but I, th- I think that Scott Speedman is really good in this. I think that he's able to sort of like, uh, again, I mean, almost everyone has this air of mystery about them, but he's like this sort of like weirdly emotionally flat person, um, who cares like he, he he's not an eco-terrorist is not what he is but it, like he's like an evolutionary terror like, like he's like an evolutionary terrorist or something like that like an evo terrorist like trying to to c- commit these crimes of the future um and what he's doing and push humanity towards uh you know an acceptance of sort of the next evolutionary step that these individuals are, are pushing towards but it's not it's not like an over-the-top kind of thing it's just very almost reserved emotionally flat performance where you're not I mean it took me like half the movie to really feel like I got a grip on what exactly this character's motives or like end goals even were um granted he's not like front and center in the film but you know he he appears pretty regularly and I and I found that he he was really able sort of like the rest of the cast able to sort of cast this shroud over his character over his motives over what he wants and and I think you get I got really engaged with seeing the character that character to you know the end of his you know narrative arc in the film and 
even though I wouldn't necessarily, I, I liked or agreed with what the character was doing. I mean, there's this thing that happens early on in his arc um, that you kind of see before you really get to know who this character is. That's like, I don't know. I just found it like really repulsive um, with it, with the candy bar and the, and the performance, like while the performance is happening. Um, I thought that was like pretty messed up and it sort of, although that didn't like, repulsed me from the character but it did make me like pick a side if you will on like where this character is going to end up but i think he's asking again like a lot of these like sort of philosophical questions about you know what is the right way to handle this sort of like evolutionary cycle you know he he there is an emotional resonance to the character as well given the loss of his son i don't think that's a spoiler i mean his son dies in the first scene of the movie um and i think so i think you you if not relate then you empathize with this character for that reason but then again, I think it's a very conflicted portrayal after that. And so, you know, that there is that element of the of the arc. And then I think he sort of inhabits that extremely effectively and and is able to sort of be a vessel of that of those questions of those mysteries that uh, of ethical quandaries about, you know, bodily autonomy and, you know, like in policing, frankly, like what should be policed and what shouldn't be policed. Um, and then, you know, in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of moral ambiguity in the movie in general, I think. Totally, um, yeah. And this character is definitely an example of that. Like you said, you know, he he does something early on that's kind of, you know, inappropriate, to say the least. Um, <laughs> it's a gener generous way to describe that. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but anyway, but then your your perspective starts to shift, right? As, as we learn more about the sun and everything that happened there. Because like you said... Um, we don't, it, it's complicated whether he is sort of responding to all this in the right way. However, he's juxtaposed against like his wife, right? Who killed the son because he was eating the trash can basically because he was different. And we know that that's not the right approach, right? Uh, you know, whatever we may think about uh, Scott Speedman's particular perspective on um, the situation, it definitely helps his case that, you know, on kind of on the other side is his wife who's just like who just killed the kid because he was too weird um so uh, you know that helps his case a little bit too and yeah again I, I think i have some thoughts about where cronenberg ultimately comes out on this but i think it definitely ends up to be, being a more empathetic sympathetic character in the end um and i think it speaks to his performance that um he's able to keep us on the tracks basically after, you know, doing something pretty shocking early on, like we said, um, you know, he's an actor who I feel like hasn't gotten a lot of quality roles um, over the years. Like, I feel like he's been in like a lot of generic action movies and stuff like that. Um, I can't even think of like something else that I, you know, thought he was a real standout in sharp. Stick. But well, I was going to say he's been in two movies this year, you know, sharp stick was an absolute, dog's dinner of a movie but he was the best thing in it for whatever that's worth um well he, he also he just did. like didn't do any like he did like two movies in seven years in like the mid 20s okay well that's that may be a reason why too but anyway this is two you know movies from like notable directors now that he's done this year and he's had like not insignificant role i mean his role in sharp stick was a oh. little insignificant but okay um, yeah i mean yeah it was a throwaway role completely uh, like yeah, he was sorry, he, I just realized he was the main role in Animal Kingdom, um, like the TV show adaptation, the TV series. OK, 
in like the I second half of the last decade. And then he has a main role in Grey's Anatomy as well. And then, of course, he okay, was like so a main supporting character on You, <laughs> the last season of You. Oh, he's I totally yeah, he's the neighbor. That. Yeah. Wow. I totally forgot that. Well, anyway, he's an interesting actor. He uh, certainly is. At least I think so after this year. So I, I hope that this is a gateway to him doing some more um, movies because I think he he character actor is is you know the vibe I get from him. I think he could be an interesting character actor. He's done two different, very different things, like in Sharp Stick and in um, yeah. Crimes of the Future. So maybe he's found a little bit of a niche for himself here. All those underworld movies really character. defined him as a character actor. Everyone's saying it. That's what he was in. Yeah, like I knew he was like in some generic, like I said, action movies and stuff. Like I think that. he was so the underworld. love interest. For yeah, no, he was in a lot of them. Yeah. Now, now that rings a bell. Like, yeah, I think he was kind of the second lead alongside Kate Beckinsale in a lot of those movies. But um, anyway, he's good here. Everybody's good. Kristen Stewart again, love her. Surgeries and everything. Um, I mean, there, there's some great gifts of Kristen Stewart in this movie going around. Yeah, uh, the like effect, just yeah, her line like every one of her line readings is just like crazy. Um, <laughs> like it, she made choices, but they were good choices. Like if I'm a director, I would just trust her instincts as an actor. Honestly, going forward now, I mean that's basically yeah. what Cronenberg said. Like he he told her like I will yeah. tell you if you're doing something wrong. <laughs> I feel like David Cronenberg is not the type who like is going to tell anyone that they're doing something wrong. I feel like he's just going to be like, it's weird. It will just add to the weirdness of the movie, whatever you're doing. Well, I think that's I think that's exactly it, though, Scott. I think that's exactly the point. Like, if you're not being weird enough, he'll let you know. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) we vibe fair. But yeah, Viggo Mortensen, I don't really say that much about him, but I think he's really good. I love the physicality of the performance, too. Like you said, the slouching, the like coughing he just has something stuck in his throat for the whole movie i guess um, it's, yeah it's very unsettling it's like very yeah. yeah when he's in the chair too just like the faces he's making oh, yeah. and everything as it's moving him all around is wild but and then leia Seydoux, yeah like i thought they had some really nice chemistry and like that was one of the things that resonated with me is like you know again talking about the movie's ideas about art and everything um it's kind of I think one of the thing sides that comes down on the end is maybe that the actual art you're creating isn't as important as who you are creating it with, or at least that that is part of what makes art art um, more so than like the actual content of what you're doing. Um, and so I thought the development of their relationship um, of being like, it seems like almost partners, like basically just kind of business partners at the start of the movie. You know, there's probably some romantic connection there at some point, but maybe it's more like they're just business partners at this point um, to really growing closer together by the end of the movie in every sense of the, the word um, because of the experiences that they have. So I, 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 I kind of read that, it as they were always kind of that they had that sexual partnership as well. I, I bet. I mean. It's yeah, well, so it, it is ambiguous. Like to me, that you know, it's Kristen Stewart says it obviously that the surgery is their sex, but then like I don't know. I feel like they have actual sex at some point in this movie, which oh, is maybe so. supposed. To... Okay, I guess I'm just thinking. I guess I'm 
Yeah. They they lay on the table together and they get cut up. But that's surgery's the new sex. I'm thinking man. about that scene, but I thought there was another scene towards the end of the movie. I don't know. I'm probably just not remembering. But anyway, there, there is a scene towards the end of the movie where he's lying on the floor or whatever, and she like crawls onto the floor with him. But I don't. Yeah. I didn't read it that way. But yeah, no, you're you're probably right. But anyway, it does seem like at least for me that they grow closer together. Sure. Or if sure. I, if I'm just imagining that. At the very least, like I said, I think there's an overall thematic idea about how they have learned to appreciate that they are doing this with each other. And that is really what makes it special. Sure. Um, yeah. More so than, like I said, the, the content of their art. Um, so that yeah. was an interesting idea. Scott, what did you think like about and we could talk about, you know, sort of the third act again. And mm-hmm. like um, I've been saying, you know, kind of. One of the major ideas is about, you know, bodily evolution, evolution of humans, what, however you want to branch this out. Um, and Viggo Mortensen, obviously, in the end, kind of decides to accept his growing of new organs. He's not going to remove the organs, right? He's going to let them grow and see what happens. Um, and the final scene is him eating plastic, right? It's basically trying to see if he like Scott Speedman and this other group that he um, is leading um, has become able to digest the plastic um, because he's allowed these organs to grow. And we kind of get the last shot is like a look of his face as he's trying to digest the plastic. And it's like this strange combination of like, you know, he's struggling. He obviously he has some fear, some pain, um, but also relief. Yes, but also, it, yeah, that's what I was going to say, but also there's like a peace almost that comes over. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of competing things going on. What did you make of this ending and what it means sort of for the overall message or meaning of the movie? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big question and the one that I've sort of been trying to dissect since seeing the film even really. And it's, I don't know if I if I feel super strongly yet about what it means but i mean what i what i've been able to discern from it so far is just that you you know it it's really your cho- like i think the film is all about like it's your choice right like if you choose to accept the changes of your body you may find peace in that right like it, there that's maybe a quite a quite literal read of what's happening in the, in the final scene but like there may be peace in sort of accepting sort of what is like evolutionarily designed for for you but also like there like in the fighting against that sort of evolutionary process that you're seeing over the course of the rest of the film, there can be value in that as well. If you talk about, I mean, his relationship with Caprice is built around evading this evolutionary push forward that his body like thrusting him into. Um, And that's, that's like sort of like the inherent design of, of their relationship. And so it's really interesting, I think to say, and sort of open up the possibility that, whether you decide to resist that it's ultimately it should be your choice, right? Like what you decide is important. And to me, it sort of just reads as a, a sort of like a, a validation of this notion of like what you choose, like how you choose to live your life, you know, how you choose to treat your body, you know, that's whatever that is, 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 is acceptable. And you can find peace and satisfaction in that, I think. And again, I think also part of that is, who you are with, right? Like, like yeah. uh, you were saying, you know, he starts off doing these performances with Leia Sadie where they're removing the organs, they're resisting the evolution. 
but very pointedly in the final scene, right? She is feeding it, giving him the plastic, right? She is right there with him, supporting him on his, you know, decision to, to try and see what happens, even though it could kill him. Right. Like we basically know that if, if he eats, if he doesn't have this evolution and he doesn't have the organ, he's going to die. Right. Because that's basically what happens to the dude early in the movie that Scott Sweetman is. And I think the last things are tangential to it's, it's not in the last scene, but I think it's certainly important and tangentially related to the last scene is that like the government, you know, the, you know, the, this national organ registry or whatever it's what the new, new vice or whatever it's called new vice in, yeah. in the, in the film, like they shouldn't, I think the notion is that they should not be policing people's choices of what to do with what the organs that they've developed. Um, you know, that's the literal read. Of course, that just means like people, there are certain choices that people make about, how to live their own lives that aren't worth that aren't worth being policed. You know, I think maybe maybe it's I think there might be a more particular angle on that than and and less of a broad one. But um yeah, I think I think that that's an important element as well that like your choices should be your choices and you know, within reason, the government should not be policing the choices those choices that you're making. Yeah, totally. Again, for as much moral ambiguity as there is the villains in this movie also come across pretty clear, right? It's the investigator who was an arm of the government and it is the wife, right? Who responds basically to a difference in her child by killing him. Um, Yeah. Which again, I think has, you know, relevance. Um, You can certainly draw that parallel to a lot of different, you know, groups of people i guess um you know anyone basically who has been persecuted in history throughout history for being different uh you know put it that way Um, yeah i mean and and i think also like in the political moment it's like really hard not to read that to read all of this also as this notion of like you know with the lens of abortion and i think it's going to be an it's going to be impossible to escape that conversation with everything that's happening you know in the u.s and upcoming but like you know, it, it is a sort of like notion of like whether whether you would choose to, you know, see a pregnancy to term or whether you would choose to abort that pregnancy. You know, it, it feels like a movie that that's sort of alleg- it's not not necessarily an allegory specifically, but it's like narrative maps on to to that conversation in a particular light. Yeah. So I think I agree with you about the ending that. Whether he is going to die or not is definitely secondary right like i think yeah the 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 point is number one it doesn't really matter because he you know number one like i said is he's with caprice right and they are together they're on this quest together whatever that means and number two because he has chosen to do this um and he is you know made the decision to let his body develop in these new ways and to try and embrace all that comes with that, including eating the plastic, even at the risk to his own, his own health. Um, Do you want to say anything about, you know, maybe what this movie says about art, right? And the creation of art, um, because, you know, that is what Saul and Caprice are doing, right? They are, using the body for these artistic performances and like i said i think some some of that to me like read as cronenberg commenting on body horror and maybe himself as a um 
as a creator, a you know, yeah. crucial part of that subgenre. What did you think? Yeah, I think that's a totally reasonable read. It's it's not how I it's not the perspective I came from on it, maybe because I'm not as as familiar or as close to Cronenberg's work. But I think on a, on a similar, although slightly more broad note, I, I did read that as this sort of notion of, you know, art is political, art is controversial, and art is uncomfortable, I think, for people. And, and I think that the film is making a pretty, is taking a pretty strong stance that it's important for art to be allowed to be those things. Um, if that is what the artists intend. And I, and I think that, that, that there is, there's two perspectives, right? There's of course, like the person consuming the art and then there's like the experience of the artists. And I think this film is like really interested in the experience of the artists themselves and sort of artists giving themselves to the art that they're making in, in a quite literal sense in the form of like performing, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, performing surgery and whatnot. But I think it's also important about like, yeah, it's cool. Like some people, I mean, the whole thing around Timlin, which is again, Kristen Stewart's character is like, people really love consuming the art that Caprice and, and Sultans are making. I mean, she's like obsessed with them. Right. She's and that has stand. an impact. It has a meaning. Um, but I think that that is only like one and almost a secondary element, I think, to what the to what the film felt like it was trying to comment on and it. It almost felt and I think this sort of maybe dovetails into the point you're making that like the experience of the artist making art is also really important, you know, if you're Cronenberg making a body horror film, whatever that might be. And that is complicated, um, but it's important that it allowed to be complicated, right? And it may not always make sense, um, but there's agency in it, in the making of it. And I think that's a really important element of it. And, you know, whether someone understands it or the motives for a reason, for, for or the motive someone has for, again, creating or performing art, you know, it, it, it's important that it be allowed, I guess, is is what the film is trying to say. Yeah, and and I think it does make a you know distinguish that. Hey, you know, Saul and Caprice are they are passionate about these performances, right? Yes, totally. on some level, on some level, it is just like, you know, they're removing the organs so that Saul can continue living normally or as normally as he can. Um, but like he says at one point, we could do this in front of we could just do this here in our home or whatever. We don't have to do that as a live performance. They're passionate about their art. They're serious about the authenticity of their art. Um, and that is contrasted with, right, the guy who we see that has all of the ears who um, is yeah. performing, but they are commenting backstage on the fact that he just has all those ears. None of them actually work, right? Like there's <laughs> that was the nothing thing. authentic yeah. really about or passionate about his performance. Um, it's just it's aesthetic you know yes exactly um there's no substance to it so um i think that goes into the commentary that he's trying to make as well that like but is that conflicting at all that like does, does it even matter whether there's substance maybe, maybe the the aesthetic is the substance of it even i mean it's making it's, yeah. clearly, it's clearly making a commentary on that but I, that that's actually one of the things in the movie that i, I don't know if i fully bought into or, or liked because why why can't that be just as meaningful to this artist? Yeah, I, I guess it's just because it, it could be, but I, I don't know. I feel like the way he's portrayed in the movie is like he's doing it for the shock value or whatever, right? Like he's he's grown out all the ears. He's he doesn't really he's not really thinking about the greater purpose of the organs, right? It is just he's doing it for 
the performance aspect of it. And, th and that's it um, to attract the attention. But I don't know. I might be reading more into it. No, no, no. Um, I, I think I think that I think that that is true. But I'm saying why can't like this film is so interested in, in the experience of the artist. But it but it gives you that experience sort of second second hand. Right. Like it's you're being told what the experience is from this, you know, from this doctor person that approaches tensor at this performance. It just felt sort of like a like a disconnected from from the narrative of the rest of the film. If you read the like I have as the narrative is a little bit more broadly than the specific than the specificity of, yeah, you know, because you're not getting you, you don't understand like we as the audience don't understand what this person's experience. We're just being told by I mean, it's very by brief a, yeah. by a bystander um, what the experience is like. And so, I don't know that it's not that I don't believe it. And, and I and I believe that is the the read that's intended. I just sort of to me that that rings a little bit hollow. I guess with sort of like what the rest of the film is sort of pleading for. Like it's the artist's choice to do that, right? The, like the artist should be able to. Yeah, I, I don't, I agree. Maybe this is just something that he doesn't close the loop fully on. Like I, yeah. I, what I would say, what I like, if I had to take a stab at it, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, I, I feel like, He's distinguishing between good art and bad art, but I don't even know if he wants to go down that that route that you know route again. I think a little bit more uh, yeah, narcissistic maybe to go down that route. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, I don't know. Again, what I took from it was yeah. there's there seems to be a lack of passion and certainly a lack of authenticity about what this guy is doing oh, no. as opposed as Not opposed the A -word. to yeah, no, as opposed to what Saul and Caprice are doing, which sure. like they are putting all of themselves into that because they really care about it. Not just on a practical level, again, of removing the organs, but like on a yeah. aesthetic, like performance, like we are passionate about the performance aspect of this um, mm -hmm. because it has become like a new theater in a way for this society of people who cannot feel pain yeah, it's, anymore. It's performing art. Yeah. yeah. And that's another thing, like, you know, we've seen movies sort of about the idea before, but this is a movie where people cannot feel pain anymore. It's like they are trying to feel something, right? Mo like most I think people I'll... can't feel pain anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Scott, anything else you want to say before we uh, move into wrap up? I mean, again, there's a lot of ideas and everything going on here. I feel like we've at least scratched the surface on quite a few of them. But um, I think yeah. it just it speaks to the quality of the movie that there is so much to talk about and so much to think about and that you know even sitting here a few days later we don't really have all the answers um to what's going on i think you know that's a sign of a good movie yeah i i think the last thing i want to say is just sort of the it sort of is the combination of two things one is the sort of end of lang dotrice's arc you know being murdered by these two women that we had talked about before who were posing as these technicians they also murdered the another doctor assassins. Drill assassins. I mean, I assume that they're working for the government. Like they're some sort of like yes, assassins yes. for either New Vice or another government organization. Um, Contractors, basically. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> just we real freaks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is the part. I think this is if I was, you know, I sort of flagged one thing that sort of I raised my eyebrow at that we were discussing just now. I think this might be the other one. Is I think this is the like this is the other weak point of the film. I thought like I, I thought sort of like the the death of this character 
although I think that he's in a lot of emotional distress when the autopsy is performed on his son and the result of that happens, then to be sort of like taken out and assassinated. I don't, I just didn't really know. I mean, like, obviously it's a statement about government and government interference. Yeah, he's a martyr. Yeah, I just, I I felt like this was like maybe one of the weaker points of the movie for me. It didn't fully buy the end of the film like this. Um, It's not shocking. It's just, I I didn't really, I didn't really know if I got much more out of it. I I mean, again, I, I, I do kind of get the government interference thing that you're, um bringing up because like the whole time the investigators like identifying him specifically as like he's you know he's the again like he's he's an evo terrorist (laughs) yeah so i think it's kind you know maybe it's supposed to be kind of you know governments will intervene when they see somebody trying to who is like a leader right like this guy is he seems like he's a leader right he's charismatic like he has started this group of what they have branded as terrorists um you know on his own basically and now he's he's getting you know he's amassing too much power there's been this performance right where everyone has sort of gotten to see what's gone on because we see you know his son opened up with all these organs that have were allowed to uh no no so that so all the organs have been replaced by he had normal organs in his body. That's what he's so upset about. Okay. Yes. That actually makes, that makes more sense. That yeah. So that's the conversation between the detective. I don't know. His, I don't remember his name. And Tensor know. at the end of the film is about how the detective had managed to have an autopsy done on the boy. Right. Because already the tattoo, swapped the like implying out. that somebody else got there first, but yeah. Um, and that's why Tensor anyway, quits. Now, that's why he quits at the end of the, at the end yeah. Of the yeah. Now that there's been this performance, um, you know, maybe they feel like he's he's amassing too much power, and so they take him out, right? Like, which is uh, yeah, they're afraid of what he'll do next, and sort of commentary, right, on things yeah. that the government has been accused of doing throughout history. So, yeah, no, I, I see that. Um, I didn't find that element to work as well as some of the other parts. Um, but again, it's not something overall, I really thought about. Well. Yeah, it's not something I even thought about until we were talking about it now. But if you had to read something more into it, I think that yeah it's reasonable to say that that's there but i think those characters are just really weird <laughs> yeah i think that's part of the problem too is that they're just yeah. like such an enigma and i kind of liked the fact that they were an enigma to some extent but then when they get like very meaningfully involved in the plot like exactly like, yeah i just thought they were like a fun a fun little window dressing on yeah. the film and then all of a sudden they're like they're murdering people left and right at the end of the movie <laughs> yeah again they could probably make a good side movie about what was going on with them it's but, probably yeah. it's going to be a tv show on a limited series spinoff on i don't know like shutter yeah i guess amc plus amc plus yeah, exactly. yeah um all right scott well i think that should do it let's uh, get into our wrap up um what's your favorite scene or moment from crimes of the future <laughs> um you know there's so many to choose from honestly that's 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 how you know you've enjoyed it uh, enjoyed a movie one that we haven't talked about which i feel it was like briefly referenced in the trailer um but the the whole the zipper the 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 patty the the beauty pageant the pageant of inner beauty inner beauty pageant yeah. The, yeah the inner beauty pageant and then like the the zipper that's installed on him that then leia sedu like performs oral sex on i mean just yeah, yeah. cackling through this scene uh, i could not stop laughing at it um for for me just so funny um 
that. I really enjoyed that scene. I, I mean, I guess that is like a actual physical sex act that in a way they sort of perform that is not just surgery. So yeah, she's uh, like sucking off his his organs, his internal organs <laughs> in his stomach. Yeah. You got it, Scott. The old sex is uh, back. We're gonna get the uh, explicit tag on this one Hell on yeah, uh, Apple Podcast for the first time ever, I think. But um I guess it was worth it. I mean yeah, um why not? I, you know, I feel like I feel like we've talked about a lot of my favorite scenes or moments. Again, I loved every time Kristen Stewart was in the movie. And the ending. I, th- I mean, I think the ending is really strong. That that very last scene of him eating the plastic and that, um, you know, complicated expression that appears on his face, um, you know, really just followed through what I felt was the strong, you know, point of the movie the whole time, which is its ideas and what, everything it had on its mind and the nuanced way in, it should, in which it explores them. And it carried that through all the way into the final shot, which, again, just that shot has a lot of nuance and a lot of different competing emotions and things to talk about. So um, speaks to a great filmmaker. It's a really good film. Uh, put a score on it, Scott. 8.5. 8.8 for me. Um, so glad to see that one of my anticipated, another one of my anticipated movies of the year has lived up to the hype. Hopefully it is uh, nothing but hype um for the rest of the movies on the list but uh that is crimes of the future hope you will check it out we're going to take a short break and when we come back scott we're going to get into a couple of news items including some uh, new casting news for the scream franchise and the mcu so you'll want to stay tuned for that we'll be right back Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, some casting news for the MCU, uh, specifically Guardians of the Galaxy Part 3, which I believe is not coming out until next year. I think that's a 2023 movie. Am I right about that? Or is that even further off in the future? 2023. All right. uh, 2023 Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Obviously, we're going to see the Guardians popping up in Thor Love and Thunder coming out very soon. Um, but, uh, Scott, we have a new possible member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. We don't even really know what her role is going to be yet, but, um, tell us about who the latest, uh, addition to the MCU and to Guardians of the Galaxy is. Yeah. You know, when we were introduced to this actress two-ish, almost two years ago now, we really thought that it would be a role that spawned a lot of other roles. I think for her, this, uh, this is talking about Maria Bakalova, who, sort of became famous as you know that woman from from Borat's subsequent movie film Tutar. Uh, who got yeah Tutar who who really hooked Rudy Giuliani in the in the hotel in the hotel room um but yeah you you mentioned a, a role in Guardians 3 we don't know too much about what that role is but James Gunn who isn't going to say the the role is nothing of course is saying that it will be an incredible and significant role uh for her, which probably means she'll be in the film for 5 minutes um, but regardless, she is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, she had, you know, you reminded me that she is in a couple other movies, or at least one other movie in particular coming out this year called Bodies, 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 which is an A24 sort of slasher comedy film. 
Um, that looks just hilarious. It looks so funny. I mean, I've seen the trailer like a few times now. The movie looks really funny. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as sort of a late summer uh, treat, an August treat that you don't normally get. Th things you don't normally get in August are, are movie treats, I feel like. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So so she's going to be in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies later this year. So that's exciting. And But yeah, I mean, again, she's she's got her, her role in Guardians 3. If she's able to make an impact, hopefully that continues to feed that machine. You know, I, I Guardians 1, one of my favorite uh, MCU films, Guardians 2, was a step down, in my opinion. I think most people's opinion, except for this random person whose letterbox list I saw that they had Guardians 2 as number one in the MCU. And except for me, too, because I haven't seen it. But. Yeah, I was just floored by this. I was like, what are you talking about? He had like a, a perfectly normal list, honestly. Um, um, actually, Guardians uh, 2 at the top. Scott, you've mentioned him earlier. I believe that Aaron J might also have that as his top MCU. Christ film, above. We can okay. Figure that out later. Maybe that, that. Maybe if we get like a, if we have an empty week, we can have Aaron J on to explain why Guardians Two is number one MCU movie. Um, goodness gracious. Yeah. Okay. I I do think um, it's an interesting cast. Like obviously, you have the Guardians coming back. It seems like uh, Chris Hemsworth is going to be in this film as Thor as well. But Will Poulter. Um, is is going to be in Guardians three as as Adam Warlock, which means nothing to you, Scott. That's okay. It means it means something to people who care about comic books, um, which I'm not even sure really includes me to be honest. Um, but yeah, he you know you got Will Poulter, you got Maria Bakalova, and I think those are two like two fresh names in the cast that will keep things sort of fresh and interesting. And you know James Gunn and his weird style and, and his weird way clearly has a lot of weird flair which you see in every film that he's done including suicide squad last year uh, i don't expect guardians 3 to be any different and hopefully maria bakalova can make an impact my my only fear if i were to like sort of take the other side of this is that i think it's very hard to stand out in a really strong way in a james gunn film because james gunn is sort of like the star of the film as we talk about with several other directors that we that we that we reference on the podcast and that we talk about um, so I don't know if if the chance of her really sort of catapulting to the top um, is there coming from this film. Oh, Scott, I should say Elizabeth Debicki definitely going to be in Guardians three. Um, she has a very minor role in Guardians two, which is teased to be a bigger role in Guardians yeah. three. Um, I just don't think that it's it's not. It's just as exciting as it is because I do think I I mean I do enjoy James Gunn's movies and um, the performances are a part of that. I think it's hard to sort of set yourself apart in a James Gunn movie. But what are your thoughts about this? Sure. I mean, again, everyone is in the MCU at this point. It's like it's just inevitable, I feel like, that Ethan Hawke is in the MCU. It's true. Yeah, we're talking about very promising young actors. Again, Will Poulter is somebody else who's up and coming. And, you know, Maria Bakalova. I mean, she got an Oscar nomination for her first movie, basically. Um, so, obviously, uh, you know, the the spotlight has been on her from the very beginning. Um, and she's going, she is going to be getting a lot more roles now because, you know, when you, when you're in the MCU, you're usually not just there for one movie. So, um, at least not nowadays. So we'll see. I mean, yes, I'm happy to see talented people in these movies. It is better than not talented people being in these movies. Um, but I hope that we continue to get like bodies, bodies, bodies style movies along the way too. That's all I ask. I'm not asking you to say no to the MCU. I'm just saying one for them, one for us, you know, as, as if Scott Harvey never enjoys an MCU movie. Yeah, of course I enjoy them. I mean, I, I 
just enjoyed the last one we got quite a bit. But but you know what I mean. I don't want them to be the only movies. Anyway, Scott, the other story um, that I want to talk about involves Scream 6, which is going to be coming out next year. Um, as we already know, they're turning it around just one year after Scream 5 was a pretty big success to start out this year. Um, it's not coming out right, until later in the year, though, right? It's not coming out in January. I think that's right, right yeah. Okay. Radio Silence is again directing, um, and we know a lot of the young cast members, including Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, are going to be returning for this movie, and Jasmine Savoy Brown um, are going to be returning for this movie. But not returning for this movie is going to be Nev Campbell, um, who is, of course, the face of the Scream franchise. She is Sydney Prescott. She is the final girl. She has been in every Scream film up until um, this point. Obviously, we saw her take more of a supporting role in Scream 5, even in Scream 4 to some extent, but definitely in the most recent Scream film. Um, she probably only had 10 to 15 minutes of actual screen time, um, showed up with Courtney Cox to kind of save the day at the end. Um, obviously, you know, the franchise also, I mean, this is a spoiler for Scream 5. Sorry if you haven't seen it yet, but Dewey got killed off in Scream 5. Um, so they are clearly trying to make some efforts to phase out the old guard, but part of that effort seems to be just not really paying Nev Campbell what, at least what she feels she, you know, she's entitled to, um, as the most important character in this franchise, um, to this point, at least, because that is the reasoning that she has said for why she's not coming back. She didn't feel that the offer that was presented to her to come back was, you know, worthy of the role that the value that she brings to to the franchise um yeah it's sad to see that that is the case um you know when i first heard the news about nev campbell not returning i believe i said to you scott i'm okay with this right because mm -hmm. again she was a supporting role in the last movie they're clearly trying to move things forward with establishing this whole new crew of characters i just don't really know if you put her in another in the next movie She's probably just going to have like the same role, right? As she just had in Scream Five. Like, I don't really know what else you can do with the character at this point. Um, it's also probably why they're not offering her the yeah, level of villain exactly. that she wants, is because the plan probably isn't to have her be the main character in the film. Uh, gra granted, we yes. don't know what the actual offer details were. We don't know sure. how it related to this past film. Like, we don't know any of those things. But you could see a world where they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to pay you top villain in this film yeah. because you're going to be in it for 20 minutes." So, yeah, my point is in thinking about it more like a, on some level, I guess it does make sense. I guess just for me as a Scream fan, as a fan of Sidney Prescott, as a character, I just feel like almost as a respect thing, right? You should like give her the offer. I mean, within reason that she she wants to say like, you know, you are Sidney Prescott. You I mean, there's totally franchise. a chance that this ends up getting worked out and they and they do. And this of is course. just a stunt to get there more is. money. Of um, course there is. But then what do you do with the character, right? The only place to go seems to be to kill her off. And I don't know that I want that. I don't, like, I'm perfectly fine with her just not being in the movies anymore as opposed to her being killed. I don't know that that's really the place to go with the character. Mm -hmm. um, but who knows? Maybe that's the caveat. Maybe she comes back for one more and they kill her off. Or, you know, maybe Courtney Cox comes back for this one and dies, and then they bring back Sydney in Seven. Like, Or she's happen. the villain. I would really hate that if that was the, the case, but 
I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I've liked all of the screen films up until this point. They've all also had Nev Campbell. So I don't feel that her departure is going to like, you know, automatically doom the movie for me. But it will be interesting to see if I feel like a gap has been left in the movie. If she, if she ends up not being in it again, it's still an if at this point, but they've also all had Ghostface, Scott. Can't believe you're forgetting that really important character. Of course, that is that is also true. Um, but anyway, um, we'll see what happens with this. Again, th- this is just the latest news. It could all it could also obviously change in the future. It does it does feel like a little bit of a stunt to like air this out the way that it did. You know, whatever yesterday, whenever this came out, like it feels like one of those things. Like two months from now, they just pay her what she wants. She's you know, arguing she's her in, way up. Yeah, she's but... in the movie. It's it's a PR move. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, and people and we can we can revisit this in like a year or whenever this movie comes out and, and see if I was right or wrong about that, Scott, because I think we have to revisit really quickly to wrap the podcast up. Uh, let's have a David Lynch check in, Scott. Did he have a film at Cannes? I don't know why you're trolling <laughs> me like this. Um, <laughs> you were so insistent on our Cannes podcast about this, though. Was I insistent that it was going to happen? You said you were confident that was going to happen, that it seemed to be lining up. Oh, okay. Well, I, I am embarrassed if that was the case. So mission accomplished, I guess, by bringing it up. Fine. But <laughs> I was, no, just think, I was I, uh, thinking about this the other day because I saw, Yeah. I guess it was last week when I saw like the camp, the, the you know, every Friday or whatever, it was, there's the David, you know, the weather updates and can you believe yeah. it? It's a Friday again. And then everyone I'm was making, I saw that way. joke that one time on Twitter. It was like, he's been telling us all these years. He's saying, can you believe can, it yeah. on Friday? Uh, which I saw somebody else tweet like a week ago. Here's how David the David Lynch film can still premiere at Cannes. <laughs> uh, so I did think about it then. But yeah, I mean, it's it's disappointing. It's interesting that I guess I came down really hard on, um, you know, thinking that it was going to happen. Maybe we we talked about it after he had denied it or whatever, and you were like, he's he has to deny it's still going to happen. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, why well, I think that, you know, I say I think I still believed that, you know, that like yeah. just because he denied it doesn't mean it wasn't happening, I guess. It maybe was yeah. what I was trying to say at the time. I gotcha. don't know. Hindsight's 2020. I didn't feel like I ever strongly believed it. I strongly uh, okay, wa- okay. I strongly wanted it to happen. Sure, certainly. sure, sure. I felt like it was certainly possible at the time, but um maybe, you know, it's maybe it released new. while we were recording the podcast right now. Who knows? <laughs> maybe it's out right now. It's on uh it's on Quibi. It's on they oh, I was gonna make Quibi, a berry joke. But uh, you don't watch Barry, so never mind. Sorry. It's on Banshee. Um, you know, the year is still young. Maybe we'll see it before the end of the year. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott. Uh, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Where can our listeners find you on social media? At Shelton 2013 And I am at Scarby Dent on all of the platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, then don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash media plug pods. But even if you cannot support us at one of the tiers over there, we hope you will rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you'll be back in two weeks for our next episode of the podcast, uh, which we will be reviewing, of course, the long-awaited origin story for the real-life astronaut that the toy Buzz Lightyear was based off of. It's Pixar's Lightyear. For Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We will see you down the road.